Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Tell us what you've got for us today. I just wanted to tell you about this fascinating piece that I read. So I'm going to be like reading a little bit of it. You know, this won't surprise you, but I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to reading magazines and research projects and stuff like that. And I ran across this recent piece that was in a magazine called Psychiatric Times. Psychiatric Ooh, I'm already Times. invested in this. Yes, I, just, I love I knew a you little would, bit of psychiatry, I psychology. I knew you would love this. Yeah. And this is the 10 myths of mass shootings. I feel like I want to almost guess what might be on there. Oh, yeah, it'll be good. That'll be perfect. So this isn't just for mass shooters, are you saying? Is this for mass violence? And, oh, mass that's violence. Really harder for me. Right. All right. Um, well, you can uh, all, you know, different things apply, right? Mm, okay. I'm really losing my confidence now because I thought if it was mass shooters, I'd be like, right, oh, but what? go ahead. Old. So name one of them. Well, I was going to say that that myth that they are young men playing video games in the basement. Okay. But that's like seven factors. Remember, this is psychiatry today. <laughs> okay. So, this ain't going to work. You're just going to have to tell them. Yeah. Psychiatry today. So just because this is so easy you'll say, oh, of course, that's one of them. Here's one myth. Mm -hmm. Access to firearms is not a risk factor for mass violence. This is one of the myths, right? Right. U.S. firearms homicide rate is 25 times higher than peer high-income countries. Not surprisingly, the U.S. gun death rate per 100,000 citizens is 3.24 compared to the average of 0.19 for peer countries. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And what's the commonality? Well, combine this with the fact that the United States has 44% Mm. of the world's firearms Mm -hmm. and only 4% of the world's population. Okay. So access to firearms is not a risk factor. So they say that's myth number one. Actually, that's number seven for them. But myth, myth number one, we live in a more violent world than ever before. Myth. Oh, is that a myth? Myth. So this no, is why actually, I thought this was fascinating. No, actually, I we're talking all time. There's been some horrific. There's, I mean, a clue in the title: the Dark Ages. Flipping <laughs> hell. <True. laughs> the Dark Ages. That's the a good Dark point. Ages. <laughs> Although the number of firearms deaths has increased, and then it says, "See myth number seven, which we just oh. went over. Okay. We have seen decreases over time in other violent events. It's important to many of our patients suffering from anxiety or trauma-based illness. That's the importance. I talk Mm. to people oftentimes and they'll say, I'm so afraid to send my kids to school. I'm so afraid to go to work. I need to get a gun to protect myself. And I say to them, you are safer today than you have ever been before. Even though you may see this episodic moment of a homicide increase in a particular community, 
we live in such a less violent world than we did 10 years ago, and certainly 20 years ago. Why do you think that is? Is that just the rise of technology helping law enforcement? What do you... What do you attribute you know, that to? In this I mean, when you say period. technology helping law enforcement, that's solving crimes. This is preventing crimes, stopping crimes from happening, stopping violence from happening, right? Because violence right. is not all crimes. Mm-hmm. So even though we all have countries that in a shared way suffer horrible domestic violence, we're better at domestic violence than we were before. And domestic violence is part of the categories of things that we count when it comes to counting violence. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's a great one. Even though we've talked about how suicides are on the increase, if you look over the long term on suicides, we've been able to bring down the number of suicides. It's just that right now we're on this little ebb of back up that makes us freak out because we're thinking, oh my God, that's so preventable if we can have better mental health care. Right. Men who live in the rural communities who are in their you know 40s to 50s and they have the access to whatever they want to do to off themselves when they're overwhelmed. Now there are suicide hotlines in there. So we, yeah. we're, we're much less of a violent world because overall, and this is, of course, United States, but I think it's consistent worldwide in our peer countries like yours, UK, you guys are our peers, because we have used research to look at these intricate ways that we can reduce certain things like suicidality and college students, domestic violence. We have these homes, places where people can go to get away from a domestic violence. The concept that once you were married to somebody and they could beat you to death and rape you because that was the law allowed them to rape you and beat you. Mm. uh, Those laws aren't there anymore protecting somebody from beating their spouse or raping their spouse where that was the law before, right? So that kind of violence. So it's not just that, but also all kinds of violence. I think when you talk about technology, um, think about things like surveillance cameras that are on outside of buildings that prevent people from just you know, breaking into a store. And there's been more awareness about other things like date rapes and things like that. And I think that point of this myth is this is a question of when people are filled with anxiety and depression all the time, and they're thinking overwhelmingly about how the world is going to shit, right? Mm -hmm. To hell in a handcart. Don't, you know, don't think about that. Instead, instead, think about what my coffee mug says that I'm holding today. Can you read this? You are magic. Own that shit. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Magic. Oh, that shit. It's Mm. definitely the idea of don't let the world overtake you. And so when you think that, oh, I'm living in this terribly violent world, it's in fact much safer um, world than you lived in before. And that's part of the importance about ending mass violence, because we don't want people to commit suicide thinking that, that the world is going to shit, right? So here's another myth. <laughs> right. Bring me another think, one. Oh, you know the answer to this one. All of these perpetrators are mentally ill. <laughs> False. <laughs> I need like a buzzer now. <laughs> exactly. We know that lots of research has shown three mm. to four yeah. percent. Three to four percent of the individuals who commit an act of mass violence, violent events of any 
kind are committed by individuals with a mental illness. It's such a massive myth to bust that one because that is one that people hang so much credit on in this argument about Mm -hmm. guns or mental health. That's the two kind of sides that people dig into. Um, Yeah, and and it's too bad because those are not the two things to compare at all. Great, totally agree. And it's just, that's the politics of it, right? Mm. Which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's guns. No, it's mental health. Yeah. Well, it's a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And those are two of them, right? And they're not sitting on opposite sides of the fence, deciding which one is which. There no. are absolutely people who commit mass events that may be truly uh, a psychopathic, right? And that small number of people who have these more severe mental illnesses there's a slight increase. Every piece of research I've read said slight, minimal. Yeah. Think about if you're a researcher and if, think of, you have three kids, unless you've Correct. gotten rid of one or had more <laughs> since well, we spoke. I'm not having any more. I can tell you that much. <laughs> That's not happening. So you have three kids. So when you say, oh, teenagers act this way because all my kids did that. That's great, but your pool of data is pretty slim compared to Absolutely, teenagers, yeah. right? And when we talk about mass shootings, this is about a mass shooter. We really have a small pool to look at, even though they create horrible devastation. Worldwide, we have a relatively small pool of people who go out and kill 20 or 30 people over the many years. So it's hard to generalize. And it's in some cases, just really wrong to generalize and say, oh, these individuals are. So with that caveat, we have some research. There's definitely research out there that says, we've looked at all the people who committed these types of events, these mass violence events, and said, oh, they have a lot of characteristics that might include some things like anxiety or a depression at a given time, which half of the world has had at any given time or more. So definitely the idea that people who perpetrate a mass violence are mentally ill is just statistically wrong. There's no There's no data to support that. And so that's why it's a myth. It's not that they haven't tried to look for the data to support that. There just is no data that supports it. So ping myth, myth number whatever. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, 
Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Okay, another myth. Patients with severe and persistent mental illness are routinely dangerous. Yeah. Lots of people think that, oh, I don't want to live near that halfway house for these psychiatric patients because they're all dangerous. Yeah, I think it is a very prevalent myth, that one. And it's just, it's kind of just the opposite. This says, on the rare instance which violence is seen in those who are severe and persistently mentally ill, in the rare instances where violence is seen among that population, it is not usually perpetrated with guns and it is not directed towards strangers or the general public. Right. That's so when those people are violent, they're turning to people they know. And there is generally an exacerbating factor like alcohol, anger, and access to firearms. Mm-hmm. That's what research shows. Those are the three biggest things. Alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol is more of a factor. We'll have a whole episode on alcohol because alcohol is more of a determining factor in firearms injuries than any other factor. Mass shootings are the most prevalent violent issue facing society now. Oh, that's definitely false. The thing that I've come to understand is that there's such a tiny percentage of the acts of violence that happen. They are rare. You know, that's something that I try to have that conversation about with people who say, what's the solution? I hear that all the time. Well, what's the answer? What's the solution to all this firearms violence? And of course, I'm always like saying, well, there's not one solution. That's the first answer. And then (laughs) also puzzle pieces. Exactly. And they're in there. Exactly. Yeah. As you're so well taught, there are so many other types of firearms deaths. I mean, just yeah. suicide, come on, mm-hmm. uh, suicide, mm-hmm. two out of three, right. Or around there, depending on the years you look at it, well, then why aren't we putting every dime we have in federal and state and local research into suicide prevention efforts? Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of people who say that is the only thing we should focus on because it's least controversial to take care of the most firearms injuries in the United States, firearms deaths in the United States. It's a good Mm. argument. I don't, I understand why God bless those people working on that. So here's one of the things that I think is an interesting number. They calculated up mass shootings and firearms deaths Mm -hmm. in the United States from 2000 to 2016. So a 17 year period, you know, a lot of people would say that's 16 years, do the math. It's 17 (laughs) years and 17 year period. They had 500 deaths from mass shootings which sounds terrible and is terrible. And every one of those is a person, but they had 320,000 deaths overall, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a problem, but it's not the bulk of the problem. And so many people think it is, right? 500 versus 320,000. Exactly, right, exactly. So that's definitely myth. Mass shootings are not the most prevalent violent issue facing society Mm. today. Another myth. Enacting legislation focused on the mentally ill will decrease mass shootings. 
no again <laughs> what it's okay don't be mad it's mad <laughs> oh, okay yeah right and you I'm know the funny thing mental illness right. mental health well it's, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's funny because the first thing that this says in this article is it says see myth number two <laughs> <You know? laughs> all the perpetrators are not mentally ill exactly right even if there was changes in in different legislation. Again, it's we're looking in the wrong direction. If we look at mental illness, then we're not looking at domestic violence. We're not looking at misogyny. We're not looking at isolation. We're not looking at alienation, all these yeah. other things that are much more likely to give us practical things like problems in the workplace, domestic sure. problems with your friends and family, sibling conflicts. I have a lot of siblings. I could have a lot of sibling <laughs> conflicts, but we get along very well. Yeah. Uh, Okay, how about mental health screening and risk factors are the best way to predict mass violence no. and mass shooting? No, again, like these are. <laughs> no, that, you sound mad. No, no. <laughs> but these are common beliefs yeah. that if we did better mental health screening, we would catch more mass shooters before they strike. We've done an episode on the actual stats of the mental. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I can't. Do you remember which episode it was that we talked about those stats in more detail? I can't remember for the life no, of me. I'll have to go There's look at the There's been so many, but it was a really interesting one. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes and point people to it just if you want more details on the actual stats. Because I think the value form of research standpoint mm. is that if you are thinking, okay, well, we're going to be able to catch the risk factors and find yeah. potential mass shooters if we do more mental health screening. You are spitting into the wind. I love that, spitting into the wind, because you're putting all those resources and then you might as well flush them down the loo. Right. So many other, as you say, puzzle pieces that we could be spending the money on and the resources on that are going to be far more effective. And if your school district only has or your county only has X percentage of dollars Mm. to apply and you apply whatever those funds are in your budget and you feel like we're going to do mental health screening to see who is going to be a mass shooter, you are not maybe doing mental health screening to see who is in a domestic violence situation, who is potentially inclined to commit suicide. You're looking in the wrong direction. So schools are markedly more violent and dangerous than before. Well, I know it's a myth now. I've worked that out. Right. <laughs> I've worked out where we're going with this. Every time you read one out, they're all myths, Sarah. Took me to about number five to get that. But interesting one. I'm trying to think if I perceived it that way or not. I think the kind of violence that we hear about is so much more shocking, maybe. You talk about Uvalde and things. I can understand why that myth is more prevalent. Mm-hmm. But again, you, you marry that up with the fact that it's so rare. In the States, we have 50 million students in schools on mm. any given weekday. And schools are significantly safer. I say this all the time that your child is safer at school than at home because we know at home there are firearms and there is domestic violence, right? And other factors that might go into injuries, whether they're firearms related or not. In fact, in the myth-busting world of this article, it says that you are 10 times more likely to encounter violence at a restaurant than you would at your child's school. That seems simple and easy and very obvious once you think about it. Mm, It does. 
I feel you like know, schools kids... have improved a lot. I mean, even if you're just talking about the hardening of schools and getting weapons into it, there's so many factors that have changed from probably when you went to school to now right. when my kids go Wait, to school. are you calling how old I am? Is that you calling I was going to include both of us in that, actually. <laughs> I was just going across am, the generation. I am older than you. That's true. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some schools, they call it here a zero tolerance policy, yes. right? But they yeah. don't allow... Uh, anybody to pick on somebody or Mm -hmm. push somebody. That idea of where there used to be more like uh, hazing, those kinds of things, there's a lot more protection, you know, just kind of naturally in a lot of school situations, kids will be kids because sometimes kids are idiots, which I'm not supposed to say that sounds bad, but you know, they're kids and their brains are developing and it takes time for them to kind of become an adult. And then there's a lot of us who are idiots as adults, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but so you know, true. kids are kids are impulsive. We all know kids are more impulsive. I feel um, like there's more of a pastoral care that's present in the schools now mm-hmm. that, that wasn't even when I was at school. There was just not that same kind of yeah. I think that's true. You know, care. yeah, the, exactly. You know, with kids' gloves, some schools have school counselors, so kids yeah. are a lot safer in schools. I wanted to cover one more law and policies addressing firearms access will not mitigate the risk of mass violence. It is one of the most frustrating myths, isn't it? Yeah. I think the kinds of things that we've talked about many times, red flag laws, mm-hmm. which really, I think when we first started, we never even got into red flag laws. But now that now that we're well into it, there are laws and policies that appear to give us that opportunity to mitigate risk on mass violence. Red flag laws is one of them. Some states have those, right? And that's going to reduce not just mass violence, it's going to reduce suicides, right? So that's yeah. going to cut that the cut that number down. But also, we've seen changes in firearms restraining orders. It used to be that if you were a domestic abuser, you could even be convicted that your guns weren't part of the discussion. The federal government just passed a law this past year that closed what they call the boyfriend loophole. And it can potentially take a weapon away from an individual who's been convicted of a domestic violence act. Yeah who maybe isn't living with the person that they're abusing. And it's been a kind of a considered loophole. So definitely there's, you know, pro or con, there's definitely no question that laws and regulations can change and impact the risk of mass violence. You know, I just like this article because I just wanted to highlight some of the ideas. And as you can imagine, because it's psychiatric based, it's well footnoted. It's definitely focused on, hey, you want to have an opportunity to impact mass violence, first of all, walk away from this idea that mental illness is the solution, and then recognize that we can take incremental steps, like legislative steps to catch people who might be under mental health distress. So I think that's kind of my takeaway from it. My takeaway is that last point. I've got the feeling that people muddy that argument up, that people want to take away all the guns and have no access to guns. But actually, That's not what it's about is what I take away from it. It's more about putting in those layers, those restrictions that make it harder for people to jump the hurdles to get to the end goal when they've got the gun in their hand. That's my takeaway. Yeah, I think the value of layers is that it impacts some but not all. Exactly. Anyway. I like it. I like it. All right. That's what I wanted to tell you today. I wanted to tell you stop believing these things no matter what you hear. Yeah. Research Myth shows busted. the opposite. Myth busted. <laughs> like it. Da, da, da. We'll need a new we'll need a new sound for our podcast, you know. Be yeah. myth busted. 
That's true. Okay, right. Well, join us next week for another bonus episode, which, wow, stay tuned. Do you know what it's going to be on? I wanted to talk to you about just this concept of assault rifles. And is there a compromise between getting rid of them and keeping them? What could possibly be in between? Oh and my who God. has an idea? I'm all in for this one. I'm all in for this one. It's the endless question. Why do you need a freaking AR, whatever? <laughs> all right. So join us next week for that one. It might get a bit heated. Uh, and until then, uh, make sure you go over to at Stop the Killing Stories on Instagram and follow us and uh, you'll find out when season four is dropping. And I never say this, but hit my website at katherinechwite.com. Sign up for my newsletter. We're going to be launching a new newsletter that is going to be filled with facts and data. And that's our goal. Let's keep training. Let's keep learning. Let's keep understanding. And let's keep saving lives. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims... Subscribe to Clueless, 
the long con. That's clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 